I'm grateful to our Folk on Foot guest for introducing me to this verse on her latest album. What would the world be once bereft of wet and wildness? Let them be left. Oh, let them be left. Wildness and wet. Long live the weeds and the wildness yet. But how much wet and wildness will we find on a walk through South London? You'd be surprised. We're in Ruskin Park in South London on a sunny Sunday morning. Good morning. Good morning, thank you. There's all sorts of wildlife here. I've already seen a large rat run across the path and three grey squirrels and a parakeet. And there's a few humans too, some joggers and passers-by. But it's a little oasis of green and calm in the midst of an urban landscape. And we're here on our way to meet Kerry Andrew, who's been described by Robert McFarlane as a writer and musician of frankly alarming talent. She's an award-winning composer who focuses on experimental vocal and choral work. She's recently published her first novel, Swan Song, but we're here because she's also a folk performer under the name You Are Wolf. She creates haunting, delicate, multi-layered arrangements of traditional music, and I'm hoping she'll share some of them with us on Folk on Foot. Let's go and knock on her door. Hello, Kerry, it's Matthew Bannister. Hey, how you doing? All right, um, thanks. Come in and just take the little lift to the fifth floor. Okay, we'll see you in a minute. Thank you. Hi, Kerry, I'm Matthew. Hi. Lovely to meet you. This is Natalie. Yeah, Should we go through here? Sure, come and have a look at our view. Oh my goodness. It's a cracking view. Yes. So you've got a circular window yeah. which looks out over the whole of London. Yep, you can see everything, every single London landmark if you look for it, apart from uh, St Paul's which is blocked by the Salvation Army Tower just around here. But everything else you can see, Canary Wharf is, is around there. And all of the city, you know, saw the shards uh, in its infancy. Battersea Power Station is just around there. The towers were all lit up, chimneys were lit up yesterday night. 
And there's the London Eye straight ahead there's of us. There's the London Eye and the uh, BT Tower. And it's very smoggy today, but you can still just about see the hill. The Hampstead Heath is, is basically the hill um, <laughs> in the in the distance over so, there. So it was this view that, that sold the flat to you, it was it? It completely was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We just came and saw that and we're just like, ah. Got all this sky as well. So we have amazing sunsets. And obviously the smog and the pollution is terrible, but it creates some pretty good colours. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. We yeah. could sit and watch this all day, couldn't we? <laughs> So, so, will you sing a song for us here in your flat? Yes, I will. Uh, I'll take you to the study where I where I set everything up. Right, and what have you set up in there? I've set up a loop station, which is what I started on with with my folk stuff. Um, and I just I record in uh, vocal sounds and layer them up basically, so it allows me to sing along with myself. And that's all it is—just microphone and loop station. So I'm just using my voice. Okay, let's go through there. Glamorous setup. <laughs> oh. oh no, that's crappy. All right, sorry. What are you going to sing for us? I'm going to sing a song that I just called Cuckoo, and it's a it's a mixture of two traditional cuckoo songs, Cuckoo Bird and My Bonnie Cuckoo, and it's basically just a celebration of spring because that's when you first hear them. Come on, 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 come on,
needs a band. <laughs> <laughs> you did all of that yourself and yes. you did all of it, we should be clear, you did all of it live. Yes. So yeah. none of that was taped or no, anything no, like that. You created the sounds yeah. and then you were pressing the buttons to loop them underneath you. Exactly that. I mean, yeah. what a wonderful piece of technology. <laughs> How long does it take you to work out the shape of that and the, the ways um, in which your voice is going to react with itself? I think it varies from song to song, um, and I've started to come away from the loop station because I, st I started with this when I was working, starting to work on solo You Are Wolf uh, material because I do lots of other things as well. And it always just comes from the song. It always comes from the original material. If it's a traditional song, I always just, you know, make sure that I really have the tune and the words under my skin first and have the feel for it and just see what comes. I'm not really sure. <laughs> it all just sort of springs out of looking at and singing the bare bones of the traditional song. And I suppose if your work tells us anything, it tells us about the versatility of the human voice, doesn't it? I mean, that's something that you're obviously fascinated by and you can use it as a percussive instrument, you can use it as a lyrical instrument. Is that what you think about when you're composing? Yeah, absolutely. So I studied composition to master's and PhD level at York and was introduced to a really wide range of vocal music from all around the world, as well as contemporary classical traditions and, and, and styles. I was just always really fascinated by the human voice as an instrument. And I was really particularly uh, influenced by Meredith Monk, uh, New York composer, who has always just ex explored her voice or, or almost exclusively just voice and also hardly ever uses words I mean I actually love words but for a while I was really into her and how she just explores vocal sounds vocal gestures uh, and again yeah she's someone else who who doesn't need instruments and so that's always been a big influence on me well this is called folk on foot and we're supposed to go for a walk yes. where should we go for a walk we're going to go from uh, my flat, which is at the top of Denmark Hill, and we're going to go down the hill, away from London, a bit more into South London, to Hearn Hill and to Brockwell Lido. Brockwell Lido? <laughs> yes. Why Brockwell Lido? Because I love it, and it's my second home. This is my first home, and Brockwell Lido is my second. I go there and swim all year round, winter and summer, and... I've found that it's it's really important for my creativity to a get out of this study, which is where I create music, and the walk is always important. It gets my creative mind flowing. Um, but just being there, uh, I find it very meditative, and I've just had a lot of inspiration from being by the water. And what about the swimming itself? I mean, because I, I, I expect you might want me to join you in a swim today and I'm a bit nervous about this. Will it be cold? Um, I think it's about 19 or 20 degrees. So to you, it will feel, I mean, it's a lovely day. Um, it will feel chilly, but I'm hoping that it will only just feel cool and that after a length you'll be fine. <laughs> and in the winter, <laughs> yes. you enjoy the shock of the cold, do you? Yeah, so it's not about exercise at all. It's just about, uh, you know, hardly do anything in the, in the winter. You just sort of go in. Um, and it's get out just, again. Well, the idea is I try and do a length per degree if not slightly more so the coldest I've ever done is 3.8 last year 3.8 <laughs> degrees uh, so I did four lengths um, and yeah it's just about the experiences I find it it's, it's good for my body I don't get colds and coughs as much as I used to it's good for the immune system it gives you a real adrenaline rush um, lots of happy positive vibes as well as, I just feel like it's made me sort of, I feel a bit harder, a bit tougher for it. Yes. You know, the fact that I can do this one thing, because I'm a bit of a wimp in lots of other ways, but I can go into cold water and 
quite proud of that, really. Okay, fine. Well, <laughs> it's see... not that cold. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be it's quite a nice day for it today, it'll be isn't it? It's beautifully sunny. So, yes. well, we'll see how we go, shall we? <laughs> Let's set off on the walk. Fair. I promise it is. It's lovely. Look, people are already sunbathing on the grass. Yeah. <laughs> I always forget that it's here because I saw you said that. I'm interested in the role of folk music in your repertoire because you've talked about jazz. You do all sorts of different kinds of music. Yeah. Where does folk fit in? Um, I'm not part of a, a folk singing family or anything like that. I, I think it's to do with stories. I grew up in Canada just for three years when I was little and was really attracted to the, the First Nations stories there um, and always loved fairy tales and folk tales that I, you know, learnt as a kid here and, and I think they just always stayed with me. And then and you then moved I, to High Wycombe, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I, I was born in High Wycombe and then came back to High Wycombe from Canada. Um, and, and yeah, I grew, I grew up there and, and then went to York as a student, um, age 18. And do you remember a moment when folk tales came to the foreground of your consciousness? Um, I think actually, I'm not sure about folk tales, but I just remember being at university when I was about 20 and, and hearing Eliza Carthy's, she had this double album called Red Rice. The first CD was very traditional renditions of songs and the second CD was uh, untraditional versions of songs. And that, that was just a real way in for me. I thought, oh, that's cool. You can do, you can do all this stuff. And also she just looked really cool on the cover. She had blue hair on one cover and red hair on the other cover. And I quite like different colored hair. <laughs> um, and anyway, so, so it, was, it was that album that was a particular way in for folk songs for me. Um, and then actually it wasn't until a little bit later in my mid twenties and I was starting to think about wanting to sing solo because I was already singing with a group I still sing with, Juice Vocal Ensemble, uh, a cappella trio who do contemporary classical music. Um, but I wanted to start exploring my own voice as a soloist because singing with Juice had given me a huge amount of confidence. Um, we're going to go this way, just go through the pub. Um, it took me a little while to realise actually folk songs are something that I wanted to sing and that I felt suited my voice. Uh, and, and suddenly there was all these there were all these stories, all the stories that I'd Where did you always find been them? loving. Um, not, certainly not in the most traditional sense of sort of collecting songs or anything like that. But first of all, just singing songs that I'd heard people like Eliza Carthy and the rest of her family sing, and other folk singers, I suppose. Uh, and then just sort of get starting to get deeper into it. And then, yeah, being particularly interested in trying to find the sort the, the earliest recordings of songs, so those unaccompanied songs collected by someone like Alan Lomax and that sort of thing. So, so going to the, the earliest recordings and hearing those unadorned versions. Mm. Um, and I saw the Penguin Book of English Folk Songs yes. on your bookshelves at home. Yes, I've got a few books. <laughs> Is there anything that unifies the ones that you pick out? Is there a sort of theme to, to all the different ones that you've chosen to record? I'm particularly attracted to uh, nature and landscape in a, a lot of my work generally and so I, I think that's partly it that I often look for songs that have a, a particular setting but actually I'm often drawn to the darker songs. Yes I've noticed a, a darkness and a, <laughs> I mean there's quite a few murders aren't yeah, there in, in the oh songs dear. that you've recorded. Why yeah, is that? I don't know I, 
I think I just like the drama, you know, I ended up being a writer as well and I just always think, oh, where can I put the murder? <laughs> That's become a joke to me and my husband, where's the, where's the murder? I just think it's just upping the drama, you know, you want, you want dramatic songs, dramatic stories. And I guess I'm not so, I don't seem to be so attracted to, let's say, sort of working songs, songs that sort of have a, a, a yeah, sort of working context. I tend to be interested in relationships. And you've themed your albums. I mean, the first one yes. was about birds, really, loosely yeah. speaking, and the second one about water and rivers. Yeah, fresh water, I decided, because I uh, like swimming so much and like swimming outside, but I don't know the sea so well, I thought fresh water might be a nice theme. And so when you came to choose the songs for Keld, which is the name of your album, by the way, what does Keld mean? Uh, so Keld means, it's an old Northern English word, and it means the still, smooth, deep, part of a river and I got it from Robert McFarland's book Landmarks which is uh, a compendium of nature and landscape words which he puts into chapters and when I was making this album I, I was struggling for a title so I just went to the water chapter and and I just like the sound of it my dad's from the north um, I sort of attracted to northern places as well and I just like the sound and the shortness of it and the meaning this idea that that you might see a river in its surface but actually the, the Kel, the deep, the slow stuff underneath, the slow sort of darkness underneath made me think of those songs, the sort of old songs just lurking there under the surface, sort of waiting for you to find them. That was my, my image. <laughs> As Sylvie was walking down by the riverside as Sylvie was walking down by the riverside And looking so sadly And looking so sadly And looking so sadly Upon the swift tide Do you identify a feminist streak in some of these songs? <laughs> I, I consciously did for the second album because I, I realised that I, as we've talked about, drawn, drawn, to, drawn to the dark side of, of a lot of folk songs. And that often sadly means that it's women who've had something bad happen to them. They've been left or they've been left pregnant. They've been left dead by a river and all the rest of it. And so I generally with Keld, I decided to make a concerted effort to step away from that a bit. Still plenty of darkness. And to be honest, it does seem like in, in that one as Sylvie that there's still a woman weeping by a riverside, but I feel like there's something empowering about the end. I like to interpret it that way anyway. She thought on the lover that left her in pride. She thought on the lover that left her in pride. On the banks of the meadow, the banks of the meadow, the banks of the meadow, she sat down and cried. I once had a sweetheart and now I have none. I once had a sweetheart and now I have none. He's a gone and he's leave me. He's gone, he's deceived me. He's gone and he's leave me in sorrow to mourn. One night in sweet slumber I dream that I see one night in sweet slumber I dream that I see My own dearest true love, my own dearest true love.
true love. My own dear eyes, true love, come smiling to me. I did make a conscious decision to try and choose songs generally that had some, some interesting female roles and they weren't just all sitting crying. <laughs> and what's your attitude towards the, the music itself? I mean, mm. obviously you're dealing with traditional songs quite often. Do you feel that you have to in some way set them in aspic and do them in a particular way or how, how much liberty do you think you can take with them? Yeah, I don't worry about that at all. I feel that uh, you can do what you like with them. I say that not glibly because I, I have deep respect and love for the songs, but I still feel that you can pull them around, throw other songs in there as well uh, and, and bring other styles to the table. Um, yeah, I don't worry about that. But like I said um, before, I feel like it comes, whatever musical choices end up happening, they come from the song. It's not, oh, we must, uh, oh, I really want to try this sort of thing. Okay, let's let's throw it in here. It just, that doesn't feel right. It always somehow arises out sort of fairly or organically, no matter what sort of style it might be. And when I awoke and I found it not so, and when I awoke and I found it not so, mine eyes were like fountains, mine eyes were like fountains, mine eyes were like fountains where the water doth flow. I'll spread sail of silver and I'll steal towards the sun. I'll spread sail of silver and I'll steal towards the sun. And my false love will weep. And my false love will weep. And my false love will weep for me. After I'm gone. So Ruskin Park is uh, just over this big road, so I'd love, to, love for us to go, go in and have a little look. It's a place you come to often. Yeah, it's my nearest park, so I like to have a little wander. I don't come to it as often as the Lido, I have to admit, even though it's much, much nearer. Um, and whenever I come here, I always think, oh, why don't I come here more? Because it is so magical. It's quite a small park, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's a little haven. It's immediately, we come away from the road, it's immediately a little bit quieter. There's so many trees, plenty of birds. Um, and, and a rat, we saw a rat this morning. I, thankfully, I haven't seen too many rats in, in here. I'm gonna keep this sort of idyll in my mind, <laughs> put the rats away. <laughs> Um, and I don't know if foxes live here, I meant to say when we were in my flat that something else we see from our windows, there's a family of foxes that just live down by the garages. You hear them a lot at night, I'm sure you can imagine that noise. See them during the day as well, just sort of hanging out, <laughs> which is really magical. So it would be a fallacy to think that because you're in a city you're away from wildlife. Yeah, and that's something else I'm really interested in and becoming more interested in and might try and theme a, a novel around is, is the wild spaces in London and because I love the, the wild spaces I'm always looking for them and they don't have to be grand it's sometimes it's just like a, a sort of weird little nook or a weird little community garden that you've never seen uh, my husband and I uh, walked past one the other day somewhere in South London all of us need these 
green spaces, however small. Um, and I'm really interested in, in that, I think. So your first album was called Hawk to the Hunting Gone mm. and had a kind of avian theme. Uh, why birds? I, I always loved birds. I was a young ornithologist club member. That's like the junior <laughs> RSPB. Did you get a badge? Oh, I'm sure I had all of the paraphernalia. <laughs> Me and my brother and one other kid um, in Buckinghamshire <laughs> were the group. Um, my and brother then was you always... went bird watching when you were kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so my brother was always my older brother was always a bit better than me at knowing knowing what things were, green sandpipers and everything else. But um, it's always stayed with me, and I'm always amazed when people don't know, you know, what a chaffinch is or, or a great tit is because those th those sort of things are very easy to me. But of course, they're not to everyone. And do you um, tell them by their call or by their? <laughs> oh no, mostly by what they look like. I, I want to make that one of my life ambitions is to recognise birds by their call because I can only do a few. But yeah, so I've always loved birds. And I started exploring birds, things to do with birds in my in my composition uh, uh, as a sort of classical composer. And so it felt like a good theme for the first album, um, just as a starting point, and because you can find a lot of birds in in traditional songs and traditional stories, um, because they symbolise all sorts of things. But they might, you know, with their flight, they might symbolise freedom and. Uh, well, all sorts of things. Like I said, the cuckoo sort of symbolises spring. I've got ravens and crows. That's symbolising the slightly darker stuff I like so much. Uh, lots of death and gloom there. But they feel like they're a good way into understanding human nature, I think. I remember getting up one May morning at dawn, or whenever the park was open, about five or half five and, and coming in and no one was in and there were so many nut hatches I'd never seen nut hatches here in the park and they were just crawling up the trees I couldn't believe it and I thought oh god they're just right here and I recorded quite a lot of birds that morning and other mornings and so uh, and and made some field recordings in other places and they found their way uh, into the album would, well would you sing one of the songs from that album for us yeah I will I, I can sing the last song on the album uh, which is an acapella song which is uh, called the birds courting song and it's just birds talking about their their tips for romance <laughs> <laughs> hmm, that's nice <laughs> I said the blackbird sitting on a chair once I courted a lady fair, she proved fickle and turned her back, and ever since I've dressed in black. I said the song thrush speckled and white, a lonesome day and a lonesome night, thought I heard a pretty girl say she'd court all night and sleep all day. I said the gentle collared dove, I'll tell you how to gain his love. Caught him night and caught him day, and never give him time to say nay. I said the woodpecker sitting on a fence, once I courted a handsome wench. She proved fickle and then she fled, and ever since my head's been red. I said the bullfinch sitting on a tree, once I had not one but three. Two got sulky and took to flight, the one that's left don't treat me right. Oh the birds among the trees, oh the birds among the trees. What a pretty sight it is, the little birds to see. 
You talk about your music, the only song to me is the warbling of the little birds. A singing in the tree. I think there were a couple singing there with definitely. you. Definitely. <laughs> what I do normally when I do this in gigs is I hand out little flyers and basically you can download a bit of bird song from Blackbird Bird Song and Song Thrush and Collared Dove and Woodpecker and Bullfinch that I've made. And you can download it onto your phone and then when, when audience members hear me sing about a particular bird they have to press play so it builds up all this bird song. So it's really, I like, I like bringing the world in. Yeah. <laughs> sure if it's still Denmark Hill or Hearn Hill. I think we're just about at the place where Denmark Hill merges into Hearn Hill. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just on the flat at the moment and soon enough it will start taking, it'll start descending uh, down further into South London to Hearn Hill. And, and to be clear, this is very suburban really, isn't it? I mean, we're it on the main is, road yeah. with these villas, these 1930s mock Tudor villas uh, <laughs> alongside it, possibly 1950s, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, some, some of them probably 50s, yeah. Um, and, and then there's more green ahead of us, which is yeah, calling to trees, me. Yeah. And there's Sunset Road, which, you know, <laughs> doesn't entirely look like a sunset. No, but. but I love some of the names here. And, and Hearn, I don't know if, it's, if it is named after this, but when I think of Hearn, I think of like a forest god, a tree god. Hearn the Hunter. Hearn the Hunter, like in Robin of Sherwood. That's my yes, reference point. Yes. ITV's Robin of Sherwood. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this road, I, it's, it's a, I guess it might be seen as a quite bland road, but... but um, for me, again, the walk is important for me, walking down to the Lido, and I often am listening to podcasts, listening to things to do with books usually, and writing and history, or if not, I'm just uh, walking and, and something, um, a sort of musical problem I've had will suddenly be solved, probably about now, basically halfway, halfway through the walk, I'll, my body will have sort of evened out, <laughs> and, uh, and my brain will go, oh, that's what you need to do. And reading your novel Swan Song, it seems to me that the, perhaps, if I might say this, the key to understanding you is that you're interested in the collision of the contemporary and the ancient, but also the collision of the kind of urban with the rural. Is, is, yes. that, is that reasonable? Yes, and I think that's something I've learned by writing Swan Song. I realise I also did it with, with You Are Wolf. My interest is in taking, yeah, absolutely, taking the ancient and taking the songs of, of the land and, and, and yes, sure, doing something contemporary, but again, not, hopefully not in a forced way. It's just I bring to the table, as do my other musicians, Sam and Pete, who are now part of You Are Wolf, we just all bring to the table many different influences and chuck anything into the pot. Um, and yeah, absolutely, with Swan Song too, um, the whole you, idea... Because you take a, a young woman yes. from London who couldn't be more contemporary. <laughs> She's got the tattoos, she takes the ecstasy, um, and, and, she, and you thrust her into the West Highlands of Scotland in a very remote place. Yeah, she's very unlike me in that I love the West Highlands of Scotland, and when she arrives there, she's just like, what is this wasteland? Uh, dark, by the way, isn't it? Dark. Quite dark. Oh, dark. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Well, I don't want to give away too much, but, uh, you know, I find it quite scary. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I tried to speak myself out when I was writing it. And yeah, so I'm it's glad very spooky. Can... Yay. <laughs> Results. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that you trained as a composer 
and, and now you're a writer. <laughs> was there a sort of deliberate transition? Um, always really loved writing, uh, but music sort of came first in terms of education and training. Um, but I've always written alongside. I used to write a lot of poetry at university. I kept journals for a long time. Then I was writing articles. I wrote about lower league football for a website. Lower league football? Yeah, I'm a Wickham right. Wanderers fan. A Wickham uh, Wanderers yeah. fan. Hang on a minute. Hang I'm not, not so much anymore, actually. To be honest, I don't really watch football anymore. But for 20 years, I was a very ardent football fan. And uh... So tell me about the experience <laughs> of going to see Wickham Wanderers play on a Saturday afternoon. Well, yeah, I was a season ticket holder all the way through my teens. And I go with my dad. Um, I was a very fervent supporter. You know, you're there with about four or 5,000 others. We go to some away games as well. And it's crazy because I was honestly like, they were my absolute obsession for So did you on a Saturday years. afternoon be always looking up the football results? Always. I watched Match of the Day on Saturdays and Sundays religiously. So I was quite into the Premiership as well. Are you a football fan? No, not at all, yeah. really. I mean, I, I grew up in Sheffield. So Brockwell Park is directly across the road from us now. It is. So this is the entrance I'll always go in if I go into the park. Well, there's a great market going it's on. It's great, down yeah. My favourite thing about Brockwell Park is the Lambeth Country show that happens in July. It's another example of not exactly the wild, but at least the, the animal <laughs> um, coming into <laughs> the an Lambeth urban. and country oh, are an so interesting juxtaposition. You have to imagine a, a sort of a, a very rural village, an agricultural fair happening in uh, uh, the sort of borders of Brixton and Herne Hill and Tulse Hill. Once there was a shepherd lad kept sheep on yonder hill, and he laid his pipe and his crook aside, and there he slept his fill. And blow the winds, I oh, oh, blow the winds, I oh. He woke up on a river bank, he took another look, oh, and there he spied a fair pretty maid a swimming in a brook. And blow the winds, I oh, oh, blow the winds, I oh. I think it, I wonder if it'll be busy. Yeah, I can't see a queue or anything. When it's really, when it, you know, we've had the heat wave, ridiculous heat wave summer, um, on the weekend, normally there are queues all the way around the building and sort of one in, one out. And it's been ridiculously rammed in there. Like, it won't be like it today, but um, there's almost no concrete space available because everybody's got, everybody's no there. No room to spread a towel. No room to spread a towel. And even he raised his head from his green bed and he approached the maid, oh, put on your clothes, my dear, he said, and do not be afraid and blow the wind's eye, oh, oh blow the wind's eye, oh. It's fitter for a lady fair to sew a silken seam, oh, than to rise up on a May morning and swim across the stream and blow the winds I oh blow the winds I oh So I changed into my trunks <laughs> and uh, it's it's absolutely beautiful here, isn't, isn't it? The it? blue colour yes. of that water actually does look very inviting on a sunny yeah. day like this, well, it's, doesn't it's it? So, yeah, the sky is so blue that it's it's making the pool. It's selling the pool today, but I also love that, you know, I love how different the pool can be at different times of the year, different times of the day. You can have very grey or green looking pools. It's really cool though, when you see pigeons fly over this lovely blue, that their, their underside, the underside of their wings is the same colour as the pool when they fly over. <laughs> it's like magic, honestly, it's like they suddenly become transformed little sort of fairies as they, <laughs> as they swim over the pool, fly over the pool. And there's loads of people here, and there's that lovely uh, multicoloured um, building over there, pink and blue and yellow. Yeah. Just making it feel like the seaside. 
I mean, I love it. It is pretty busy today. Um, you know, last maybe the, yeah, the last Sunday before school starts, and it's such nice weather. Lots of people on the other terrace, uh, over the other side of the pool. And the percentage of people in the water <laughs> is much lower than the percentage of people sunbathing on the side. That is I don't know if that's telling given. us something. It's always a given, apart from in the winter, <laughs> when people just come and swim and there's absolutely no sitting outside because it's, <laughs> it's uh, And I saw chilly. a sign outside saying the water is 20 degrees. Oh, that's perfect. Is that warm? Yeah, you'll find it cool, but honestly, it's so it'll be lovely. And because the sun's beating down, it should be all right. So I just wanted to read this extract from Swan Song because it might give me a sense of what I'm about to experience <laughs> as we hear your heroine, I suppose, Polly, diving into a Scottish rock pool. Yeah, um, I would say that the Scottish rock pool is way colder than this <laughs> lighter is going to be. Okay. Oh my God, it was so cold. He went in first, having taken off all of his clothes save for his boxes. I was pretending not to look at him, doing my own thing, but he was right there, in his pants. I saw a lean, freckled back, tiny bit of belly, both much whiter than his arms, and lots of hair on his thighs. But I couldn't look for long, as suddenly he was in the water, ducking under and shooting back up with a big outbreath, like someone had kicked him in the gut. And then he just hung in the water, facing me. I was standing on the flat slab of rock in my clothes still, thinking, T-shirt on, T-shirt off, is he going to jump me? Do I care? Do I want him to? Yes, I sort of do, so fuck it. And I whipped off my T-shirt and got out of my shorts with extreme speed and had gone to the edge of my bra and pants, wishing I'd worn matching ones, but glad at least that it was my bright blue bra that pushed my breast up, holding my stomach in, my arms clenched by my side. You're a bastard, I said. He grinned, and one, two just because I couldn't stand there in front of him practically naked any longer. I'd leapt in and, oh God, God, it was cold. Stupid, someone biting your feet, someone slapping your skin, gunshot wound in the face, cold. So... Come on then. Let's get in. <laughs> <laughs> you first or me first? Shall I go first? You, you go first. Okay. Right. How does it oh, feel? It's lovely. Okay. Come on in the water. Crikey, it's a bit cold. <laughs> <laughs> Ah. <laughs> I'm just going to plunge in now. Go I'm just going to plunge. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> oh, that's very fresh. Oh. Just take your breath away at first. But nobody else is complaining. Why is it only me that's complaining? Oh. Okay, I'm going to go ahead of you. So you come behind the lane. Okay. Shepherd lad kept sheep on yonder hill. Not a short pool. And he laid his pipe on his crook aside, and there he slept his fill. And blow the winds, I oh, blow the winds, I oh. No idea how long it is, but it's uh, certainly a challenge for my terrible breaststroke. He woke up on a river bank, he took another look, oh, and there he spied a fair 
be made of swimming in a brook and blow the winds I oh, blow the winds I oh. Good job I'm in the slow lane is all I can say. He raised his head from his green bed and he approached the maidle. Put on your clothes, my dear, he said, and do not be afraid. And blow the wind's eye, oh, blow the wind's eye, oh. It's bitter for a lady fair to sew a silken female, then to rise up on a May morning and swim across the stream. And blow the wind's eye, oh, blow the wind's eye, oh. If you'll not touch my mantle and you'll let my clothes alone, oh, I'll give you as much money, sir, as you can carry home and blow the wind's eye, oh, oh, blow the wind's eye, oh. Oh, I'll not touch your mantle and I'll let your clothes alone, oh, but I'll take you out of the water, clear my dear, to be my own and blow the wind's eye, oh, blow the wind's eye. Put her on a milk white steed himself upon another And it's all along the way they rode like sister and like brother And blow the wind's eye, oh, oh, blow the wind's eye, oh And when the gates were open, it's so nimbly she stepped in, oh She said, you are a fool without and I'm a maid within And blow the wind's eye, oh Oh, blow the wind's eye, oh. That's fantastic, Kay. And I notice while you're doing it that you do the actions. Yeah, I do slightly bigger versions uh, when I'm performing, but I think it's just, I don't know, I seem to do actions for a lot of songs, and sometimes I think I'm basically just miming it all, but uh, yeah, well, people say sewing, they like it. You're sewing, and then you yeah, mime the money. I just think it's, I think it's a very playful sort of silly song, that one, and I just I just think it's, it's fun, yeah. So I've got my... It does help me remember the words, but uh, when the boy's singing, I'll take you out of the water, clear my dear to be my own, I put my fingers and thumbs together in little hearts. Because uh, I just think it's sort of sweet. It's just a sweet little song. <laughs> it's been a wonderful walk and, a, and, and swim. Have you got uh, and enjoyed the swim. I've got, I've got a few goosebumps, yeah. yes, actually. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, it's been amazing. And it, what's been great about it is that you've conjured up so much nature huh. in such an urban landscape so thank you for that my pleasure thanks for having me Kerry Andrew or You Are Wolf at the Brockwell Lido. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode of Folk on Foot, please rate and review us so others can find us and please tell all your friends. To keep up with the latest news, sign up for our newsletter at folkonfoot.com. Other episodes in Season 2 feature John Bowden in the Loxley Valley, Seth Lakeman on Dartmoor, Fisherman's Friends at Port Isaac, Stick in the Wheel on the Road to Epping Forest, and Julie Fowlis on the shores of Loch Ness. And if you haven't caught up with Season 1 yet, what are you waiting for? Six more episodes featuring the young'uns, Kareen Polwart, Sam Lee, Eliza Carthy and Family, Steve Knightley and Cara Dillon. 
all available at folkonfoot.com right now or through your podcast app. Do have a listen.